If you take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, and we will, we will read two verses here. Twelve, okay. One through twelve, okay. My apologies about that. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. I'll read the odd verses if you read the even verses there. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Let's begin. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity. Uh, Lord, we, we, I don't want to take it lightly, Lord, this opportunity to hear your word of God opened and preached. I ask you to be with our pastor, filling with your spirit, giving boldness, Lord, to say what needs to be said, um, Lord, and a uh, wisdom to know how to say it. I ask that you please just watch over um, the service now, protect us, and help us, Lord, to understand what you have for us to hear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to preach a sermon tonight called Blessed in a Depressed World. Blessed in a Depressed World. Uh, I'm going to make some probably uh, stronger statements than some are used to hearing, but they need to be said, and I'm going to start that way, uh, but hang on. We've been inundated with this feel-good Christianity. People going around, oh, I'm blessed. Have a blessed day. I'm not saying these people uh, don't have blessings, but saying have a blessed day is more than just a spooky smile. Jesus has a multitude of people. He's talking to his disciples and he begins to teach and to preach to his disciples. I want you to notice something where the word blessed is used here. Look at verse number uh, three with me. Blessed are the who? Poor. Poor in spirit. Does that mean somebody's having a good day? Huh. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that what? Mourn. Oh. Sounds like they're having a great, wonderful time, doesn't it? Uh, Verse 5, blessed are the meek. (laughs) Verse 6, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. Now, when you're hungry and thirsty, it ain't a good day. Uh, the, uh, The redneck interpretation means when you're hangry, amen? Uh, Verse number 7, blessed are the 
merciful. When you have to apply mercy to somebody, that's in a corrective situation and things aren't going good. Verse number eight, blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, Pure in heart. Didn't say pure. Pure in heart. Uh, Verse number nine, blessed are the who? Now, when you need a peacemaker, not a pacemaker, a peacemaker, that means there's conflict going on, right? So in every one of these cases, and blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And I, every one of these cases, it's not good stuff. <laughs> We're having a wonderful day, y'all. Nope. So when Jesus himself uses the words blessed, it's not in reference to have a good day. It's not like pulling up at the, at the store or the bank and have a blessed day. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Everybody doing okay? Uh, And by the way, the Sermon on the Mount wasn't expository. He didn't go line upon line, word by word, explaining. He went truth by truth, topic by topic. And Jesus begins these nine statements about being blessed. We call these the B attitudes. In other words, attitudes that we are supposed to be. That's what the word be, attitude means. We are to have these attitudes, we're to have these graces, we're to have this uh, way of, of living and thinking, kind of like Romans 12 and 13, by the renewing of your mind. And he begins to hit us with nine negatives. Now, here's the truth. Let me say right here that life has a lot of ups and downs. Did you know that life is not all positive? If you're over the age of five, you already know that. Uh, Because by the age of five, you've realized not everything in life goes your way. Life is not all positive. Life's not all good health, wealth, and happiness. Life has sickness, pain, death, opposition, problems, etc., etc., etc. It even has things as bad as Democrats. Uh, Jesus is teaching us here, though, that even though difficulties come, we can still live blessed. This word blessed is not a word that means something that makes you tingle. It's not a a feel-good word. Uh, We we use that word very, uh, like we use other words wrongly. Uh, It's not a word (laughs) related to any emotion. The word blessed is not a word that is based in emotion. It is based in character. It is something that you must put on, not something that comes naturally. The word blessed means of highest value. It means supreme. 
It is a word of quality, not a word of emotion. So God says, Jesus said, blessed or of highest quality or of supreme quality of are those that are poor in spirit. Blessed is a word resulting from opposition being faced, not the absence of opposition. Oh, we use that word. Have a blessed day, Brother Juan. That means we hope nothing bad goes wrong. It's impossible to have a blessed day unless something wrong's going on. Because the word blessed is used in reference to opposition. It means, literally, it's a word of victory. It means opposition has come and you overcome the opposition and you are now the highest or supreme in the situation and you are blessed. Uh, can I bring it down to where we live in, in, in redneck land? It means we whooped them, y'all. When you win, we've been blessed. Uh, when we get through the difficulty, we get through the opposition, and we, we do it the right way, we then are blessed. It's not just smiling, saying, have a blessed day. Do you really know what somebody means when they say that? Uh, I go somewhere a couple times a week, and the same lady tells me that every time I don't want to choke her. Because she has no idea what it means. Now, she's sincere. Don't get me wrong. But you can be sincerely wrong. Just because you're sincere doesn't make it right. I'm thinking, lady, do you really know? You're, you're asking me to fight a battle and win. I don't want to fight. You see, it's a word of victory or triumph. And it comes by battle it's not a word that prevents battle or is an absence of battle. It is a word of victory because of battle. So let's see what Jesus has to say about living blessed in this crazy depressed world. By the way, this world is depressed. They are trying to drown their sorrows in everything but right. You got the alphabet soup crowd. You got the people that are protesting. You got people that are uh, robbing and stealing stores at will. And uh, you got people say, let's not have police departments until they get beat up and robbed. And then they wonder where the police are. Let me help you tonight. Number one, being blessed comes by victory in battle, not the absence of battle. Jesus did not tell them to be rejoice, to rejoice and be exceeding glad because everything is going smoothly. Look at verse number 12. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so what? Persecuted the, they the prophets which were before you. God said, look, you can only rejoice and be blessed after you face persecution. Depression comes when you focus on the problem. Blessedness comes when you focus on the strength that got you through without being depressed. You see, the world wants to focus on the problem. God wants us to focus on the answer. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What were they talking about, death? In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. But Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not the way. We don't know where you're going. And that's when Jesus said in verse number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus was telling them about death and they were discouraged. And he said, don't be discouraged. He said, I am the way, focus on the truth, not the death. And we live such an emotional roller coaster in life. Well, I don't feel good today, so I'm not doing this. And I just don't feel like it. And uh, depends how I feel. Bless God. <laughs> There's some things in life you do whether you feel like it or not. Amen. I do a lot of things I don't feel like doing. <laughs> Can I tell you why? Because I'm supposed to do it. My feelings don't matter. I you say, well, preacher, you're just different. No, I'm made out of the same dirt you are. I like being liked just like you like being liked. I don't like being attacked any more than you like being attacked. But guess what? It's coming. Might as well hang on because I'm focused on the truth, not the attack. See, you worry about the little battles. I just want to please him. I let the little skirmishes come. It's just like a bunch of little gnats flying around to me. It's okay. Here we go. You see, depression comes when you focus on the problem. Oh, I got this problem, preacher. And I just, uh, uh, well, quit thinking about the problem. Let's think through the solution. But I just keep going back. Uh, that's your problem. You're thinking on the wrong side of it. Amen. <laughs> this one's going to get me in trouble. <laughs> but hang on. Addiction programs. They tell you that once you're an addict, you're always an addict. May I give you a word of knowledge? That's a lie out of the pit of hell. My Bible says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Uh, hang on for just a second here. You're always going to be a sinner. You can't stop being a sinner this side of the grave. But Jesus can give you victory over sin. And for you to say, well, I was an alcoholic, or I used to smoke, or I used to do drugs, and because I did it once and I was addicted to it, I'll always be an addict. You're saying that what Jesus does is not complete. To always be an addict says that the substance has more power than God. Like I'm here to shout, alcohol doesn't hold a candle to God's power. I'm here to tell you, nicotine doesn't hold a candle to God's power. I'm here to tell you that no drug in the world is as powerful as our almighty God. Everybody doing okay? Don't you believe the lie of the world that once you're a, an addict, that you're always an addict. Matter of fact, Romans says that Paul was addicted to the gospel. 
See, the problem is you want to be addicted to the wrong thing. Everybody doing all right? Man, I'm having fun right now. Somebody say amen. You're never going to quit battling sin. Don't get me wrong. Just because you have a desire to do something doesn't mean you are addicted. There are people in this room who used to smoke or drink. You get around it. I can't tell you that you'll never have the urge to want to go back to it. That's why you ought to be away from it. Here's the problem, though. You can be blessed by saying, I'm not going to do that again. I know what it did to me before. Why would I? Matter of fact, the book of Galatians says, Why turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? Why would we want to be enslaved to alcohol? Why would we want to be enslaved to a bunch of dead weeds, dried out, rolled up in a piece of paper, and we light it on fire and suck it down and kill ourselves? Why do we want to be enslaved to a bunch of drugs that make you get lose your brain? Well, it just makes you feel so... Look, I've had 10 kidney stones. They hit you with all kinds of... Uh, they'd hit me with morphine and then hit me with Dilata right after it. Morphine was like water. Dilata kind of makes you go... Ugh. I don't know if it took the pain away, but you don't care at that point in time. It gets you through. But my wife will tell you, I hate that feeling. I hate it with a purple passion. I, I, I can't, I, every time I have to go through one of those situations, I look at my wife and say, I can't believe people actually want to feel this way. You say, but preacher, it just makes you feel, no, you have no control. I, I don't want to be in a situation like that. Well, it's an escape from reality. Well, I like reality. I really do. I enjoy life. Why would I want to escape it? So for you to believe that once you're an addict, that you're always an addict, you're saying that that substance is your God. Well, preacher, I can't give this up. Well, you have to decide. Is it God or is God God? It's that simple. <laughs> I can solve any habit you have. Don't spend money on it. Amen. Did you know you can't get drunk if you don't buy alcohol? Right. Do you know you can't have a smoking habit if you don't buy cigarettes or cigars or pipes or whatever? Do you know you're not going to have a drug habit if you don't buy drugs? Amen. It, it, uh, folks, it's not rocket science. You see, you're never going to quit battling sin. But facing the negatives and the problems make us strong enough to have victory, which makes us blessed. Did you ever see uh, little league players play? And the end of the game comes, one team's happy, and the other team's crying. The happy team's the one that won. You say, well, that's why I don't think, I don't think sports, every boy needs to learn how to cry. Every boy needs to learn how to lose. It, it, it's, it's good for you to lose every once in a while. It's good for you to be the one, the, the reason that you lost. 
there's nothing <laughs> that, that will teach you more than the, than the defeats of life. Victories don't teach you as much as the defeats do. Amen. Every time we go through big events here or we get through uh, bigger things here, first thing I do is gather my staff and say, okay, what did we do right? What did we not do right? What can we fix for the next time? And we put it aside and find out what our weaknesses were. We shore up our weaknesses so that the next time our weaknesses are now our strengths. Amen. See, what was that? Yeah, the buffet line. Uh, that's why we don't do pigs on the crematorium anymore. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, there, there's as the church grew, what we used to do, we could not do. We had to fix it, so we did. And you say, but but preacher, those those defeats were just a way for us to get to blessed on the other side. It gives you strength. You're, we're all going to face battles, but blessings come to those who stay in the battle and win, not to those who give up. Amen. You don't find the blessing by running and crying. You find the blessing by staying and beating the snot out of the devil. Amen. You don't, you don't uh, find the blessedness by just sitting down and letting it all take place. You find the blessing by... Pulling up your sleeves and start swinging elbows and, and make something happen. You see, depression comes to those who give up. They sit down. It's too big. It's too hard. Kids in school. Well, I just don't, I, I don't understand it. That's, that's a cop out. What you're saying is you're too lazy to fight the battle to learn it. Ouch. <clears throat> just went to meddling, didn't I? Hang on. Happens to college students too. Happens to adults. Well, I don't want to do it the way the boss wants it done. Well, until you're the boss, do it the way the boss wants it done. Well, that's not the best way. might not be your way, but when he's paying the bills, it's the best way. Hate to disappoint you. Well, I know a better way. Well, if he wants it his way, he's paying you to do it his way, not your way. (laughs) Don't like it? Go start your own company and do it your way. I'm not being unkind. I'm just saying sometimes we make it more about ourselves than winning the battle the right way. Depression comes to those who give up. <laughs> Please listen to this. I've worked with millions of people. Do you know who the most depressed people are? The ones that don't do anything. <laughs> You've seen your citizens. Stay busy. If you're not careful, all you'll think about is all the aches and pains and all the doctor's appointments and all the medication and all this and all that. If you're not careful. Now, I realize you're not 25 years old conquering the world anymore, but there's still things you can get done. And you ought to try to get something done every day. Say, why? (laughs) Because when you give up, it's over. That's when depression sets in. Now, at, at 91, you're not going to do what you did at 19. Amen. <laughs> but I thank God at 91, he's still out there doing it. I'll drive by the house and he's sitting out on the porch and I'll honk and he'll... From the porch, he knows that blue streak going by. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Uh, you got to be careful that you don't sit and focus on all that you can't do. Focus on what you can do. Amen. 
Can I tell you why you get depressed about... Uh, I'll hit the ladies, then I'll come back and hit the men, so hang on. Uh, you get depressed about cleaning your house? Because you let it go so long that you look at the whole thing. We'll conquer one room at a time. Fellas, you wonder why you get depressed? Because you opened up the garage or the shed and realized you hadn't cleaned it in six years. Ouch. I went to meddling real hard, didn't I? Can I tell you something? Quit looking at the whole thing. Clean a section. Get part of it done. Get something done. You're looking at a man that hardly ever gets anything done completely in one day. I have so many irons in the fire, I'm just trying to keep the fire lit. I rarely, if ever, get to sit down and work on a sermon from beginning to end and have no interruptions. I, I don't remember the last time that ever took place. I'll be preaching 13 times starting this morning until next Sunday night in four different states. I probably have 50 sermons in my briefcase right now ready to preach. I'll be working. I have in, in the Bible that I'll take with me, I probably have 20 or 25 different sermons that I'm working on right now, plus what's done. And I'll work five minutes here, 10 minutes here, 20 minutes here, three minutes here, 15 minutes here, and I'm constantly working on them. They're all in lesser stages of being done, so that I can resupply that which is done. I don't have time to sit down and spend hours at a time just working on one sermon. I recopied a sermon from yesterday, and it's taken me almost... It took 30 hours to recopy a sermon outline. Because of all the interruptions and everything that took place. It wasn't 30 hours of work. But I couldn't sit down and recopy it and add and subtract and do what I needed to do with it. I worked on it over a period of over 30 hours. Just for one sermon outline. Everybody doing okay? You say, why? Because I answered your text and this call and did this and did that and did this and did that. And we had church this morning and I worked on it. I worked on it this morning. I worked on it this afternoon. I worked on it before church tonight. Hey, uh, that's the way things work in my life. I rarely, uh, when I hired my, my staff, I tell them, you'll never leave and have everything done. Never. It, God's work is never done. There's days I kind of, <laughs> and I mean this very lightly, kind of, miss working in the machine shop. I could, I could work from four to midnight, clock out, look over and see racks of parts that I had made. And Brother Kevin, I could at least see my work. I can work for 12, 14, 16 hours in my office and it's piled higher when I leave than it was when I started. And it might take me 10 years before I find out what I did right today. But it's okay. I'm not measuring it by the results. It's measured by the effort put into it. And I'm blessed. Say why? Because I didn't give up. Make sure you do something. Don't focus on all the negative. Focus on the strength to get through. Number two. 
Jesus calls us Christians the salt of the earth. Look at verse 13. <clears throat> Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. Let me ask you a question. Are you still a salty Christian? And if the salt loses its savor, you can't get it back. You can't re-salt salt. It just is thrown out and worthless. You can't recharge salt. Once it loses its savor, it's gone. Now, listen to this very carefully here. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. Salt is used to preserve. We're supposed to preserve truth and morality and right and wrong. We're not supposed to change right and wrong to match the world. We're not supposed to bring the world's music and the world's way into the church to please the world. We're supposed to be salt and preserve the truth as God gave it to us. Salt adds flavor to a nasty world. Did you know the world's kind of nasty out there? I can't taste anything, but I can feel salt. My tongue feels things. And <laughs> my cholesterol or my, my sodium intake has, in, has increased since I have been able to taste. But at least my mouth does something other than chew. It's got to have some kind of saltiness to it. So that my tongue can actually tell my brain something's going on other than you're chewing. Everybody doing okay? Salt melts ice. Do you know we're supposed to melt this cold, nasty world? The cold-heartedness, the indifference, the frozen, loveless world needs the salt of truth to melt it. <clears throat> Did you ever get salt in a cut? Burns, but it'll clean it out. Do you know one of the best things to cure a cut is to fill it full of salt real quick? You say, preacher, that would burn. Yeah, but it'll clean it out. You won't have infection. It'll take the infection right out of it. Now, you better hang on tight if you're going to do it. The world's salt is used up and it's savorless, it's worthless. No wonder they're depressed. They want everybody to be the same. They want everybody to look the same. They want everybody to have the same gender. They want everybody to be the same. The world's pretty dull. Oh, you got to live it up. No, they're dying it up. We're the ones that are living. Matter of fact, God says that we are the light of the world, verse 14. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Huh. Watch this. Do you know what you do when you're depressed? You turn the lights out and sit in a room and stay in bed all day. You say, why? Because you don't want to see the light. You'd rather sleep it off. You'd rather... Just go unconscious and not think. 
than to face it in the light of reality. Well, you're looking at one person that loves to live in the light. Everybody doing all right? <laughs> By the way, salt can leave a bitter taste in people's mouth. And truth is going to leave a bitter taste in people's mouth. I've got to hurry. Number next, number three. More is expected of the Christian than of the lost world. We won't take time to look at it, but Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 48, Jesus tells us that he expects more out of us than he does the lost world. Do you want to live blessed? Then people are going to expect more of you than they do the world. <laughs> Say, why, preacher? Because you have the written words of God, you have the truth of God, and people expect you to live by it. Isn't it amazing that even the lost world knows what right and wrong is, and they want to ask us to live by it, but when they violate it, it's okay? Oh, I thought you were a Christian. <laughs> have you ever heard that criticism before? <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Even lost people. Well, I thought you were a Christian. Yes, and because you're an infidel doesn't change anything. <clears throat> Some female, I was going to say lady, but it wasn't. Some female one day, she got a little peeved at me and, well, I thought you were a Christian. I said, just because you're an idiot doesn't change the fact that I am. I said, isn't it amazing? You want me to live a certain way, but it's okay for you not to. Now, what's that make you? There was a couple other people around. Yeah, where to go? Say, so you shouldn't have reacted that way. Maybe not, but God laughed at it too. <laughs> Did you know even the world sees the Bible as a moral code? <laughs> By the way, the author of it was perfect. They know what his standards are. And because of that, they expect us to live by it. Did you know that the world expects us to get along with and be peace, peaceful as much as we can? But I hate to tell you something. <laughs> Jesus wasn't a long-haired maggot that wiggled when he walked, walking around saying, love, 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 peace, peace, peace. Amen. Do you know what Jesus did on Palm Sunday? He made a cat of nine tails, a whip, he walked into the temple and he kicked over the tables and said, Hyah! and he chased out the money changers. He was cracking the whip, chasing people out and kicking the tables over at the house of God. Now, does that sound like somebody that wiggles when they walk? He wasn't hitting them with his purse. I'm sure his coat was not rainbow. <laughs> Folks, Jesus was a man's man. He attracted men. And I'm not talking about the way the world does. Men left their businesses to follow him. Fishermen, business people, tax collectors. Well... Most of them are honest. Uh, now, wait a minute. They left their businesses to follow him. That means he had something about him they wanted. You see, 
the world expects more of us than it does of the world. Take that as a badge of honor, not as something you have to endure. Well, that's just not fair. Yes, it is. Young people at Grace Baptist Church School, God expects more of you than he does the public school student. You have more truth. The more truth you're given, the more God expects of you. That's why in our school, if you get less than an 80, you fail. You got to start over. 80, not 60. Aren't you glad you didn't come to our school? Matter of fact, in some of the lower grades, if you get under 90, you have to start over. Some of you would have still been in kindergarten. You never got a 90 your whole life. You see, I believe in raising the standard, not dropping it. Number four, God wants us to live spiritually in a humble way. That's what chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Matthew is all about. Being spiritual is not a badge that you wear. It's not a trophy or a flag that you hang on a wall to show off. Spirituality is a humility in a walk. It is not, look at me, I'm spiritual. People that have to tell you they're spiritual are not. People that have to wear their spirituality and uh, they have to show off their spirituality by the clothing that they wear, listen to me, are not spiritual. Now, I believe that we will dress right if we are spiritual. Don't get me wrong. But we're not to put on the phylacteries and all of the, the uniforming and all the, uh, the pageantry to look how wonderful and spiritual that person looks. Gag. Spirituality is, is a combat uniform. It's not dress blues. Put on the whole armor of God. Hello? You don't wear armor for pageantry. You wear armor when you're going to battle. We're not to worry about people seeing what we do or for us worrying about who's going to get the credit. Spirituality is not seeking credit, it's seeking God. Can I tell you something? God's keeping score. He'll take care of it. Material gain does not prove spirituality. Ouch. Did you know that a walk with God will give you what you need materially? Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Here's, here's the thing. Christians are seeking the things, and they're not seeking God. We'd rather have the new cars and the new houses and the new things and the new computers and the new cars and the new uh, all the newest gadgets, and we're seeking the new things, and God said, seek me first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all the things will be added later. <laughs> Man came to this church. He said, Pastor, which car do you drive out there? At that time, I had my old uh, black Ford pickup truck. I said, see that black Ford, that old one down there? He said, yes, sir. I said, that's mine. Huh. You don't drive a Cadillac or a BMW? Nope. Can't afford one of those. 
wouldn't anyway. He said, it's interesting. I said, it's interesting you'd ask me that question. He said, been to so many churches, he said, I'm tired of watching the preacher drive up in $80,000, $100,000 cars and then stand and they've got $200,000 watches on and everything's about money. I said, come on in, everything's all right. I said, I don't even wear a watch. I said, I got a phone in my pocket, it's got time on it, what do I need to wear a watch for? He came in, he heard me preach. He said, now I know why you don't drive expensive cars. I said, no, but our bills are paid. I said, I'm not worried about the money. I'm worried about people being spiritual. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. By the way, if you're seeking him, you won't want as many things. We're supposed to live. I believe Christians will pay their bills on time. Pay your debts. Pay them on time. Uh, I think we ought to live for everybody else more than we do ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that you neglect your family and go serve everybody else. That's stupid. Just like I don't think that you ought to give everybody else and tell them to go to the booger man because you got to be with your family all the time. Everybody doing all right? I love my wife. I don't want to be gone for the next week, but guess what? It's what God's will is, and it's something that needs done. If I need to leave my wife for a week to go travel and preach, then that's what I need to do. Everybody doing okay? And she's all right. She's got the guns and she's got the dog. <laughs> the, 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 the chick with the attitude, the dog, will let her know if she needs to do something else. It's all right. Now, wait a minute. Uh, listen to this very carefully here. It's not always what I want, but it's what needs done. Uh, we're not supposed to live for our family and let everybody else go to the booger man either. Don't live for self-pleasure and self-gain and self-satisfaction. It's amazing to me. Well, I can't go to church because it's the only day I have off and i got to spend time with my family. Well, come to church and have family time. Ouch. Well, it's the only day I get to do something. Well, go to church and then do it. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? It's the only time people have to do something, but... Millions of people flooded stadiums today to watch football and baseball games. Got up early, will stay up late, all to be entertained, but they don't have time for God. I believe we ought to live morally. I believe we ought to live ethically. I believe in living by good ethics. I practice good ethics. I don't just talk about it. I live it. If you come to me and say, preacher, who should I go to for this certain kind of work? If I recommend somebody, you'll find out. That person will tell you, pastor pays his bills and that's a good person. He does things right. If I tell you, go tell somebody that I sent you, they'll take care of you. Can I tell you why? Because I've had good ethics. You've seen me when we've had meetings and Brother C's churches here or something or somebody from another Baptist church that I know is coming through town. I'll say, don't put your tithe in our church. Don't curse our church. 
Brother C says, I love hearing you say that. You're the only preacher in America I know that will do that. He said, <laughs> he said I, I respect you, Brother Bush. I said, well, brother, I'm not here to take your people's money. I said, they need to tithe to, the, to their church, not to mine. Everybody doing all right? Amen. Okay, hang in there. We ought to live ethically and morally with people. I'll go preach for two different pastors this week. Do you know that I'll be ethical with them? I may not agree with everything they do, but I'll be ethical with them. Everybody doing okay? I got to quit. God was teaching us that being blessed comes as a result of battle, not the absence of battle. Before you say, have a blessed day, realize what you're saying. That means whoop up on somebody and win. <laughs> Having a blessed day doesn't mean it's all going to be sunshine. It means you're going to face a war. Maybe we ought to understand what that word blessed means. The word blessed means to jump up and down after a battle in victory. Did you ever see somebody win the World Series? And the team charges the field and they're jumping up and down screaming and hooting and hollering. That's what the word blessed means, but they did it because they won the wars. And the other team sitting on the bench crying. It comes by victory, not because of a feeling. You see, this world is only depressed because it sees the opposition. We're supposed to focus on the victory, not the opposition. Being blessed in a depressed world. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm done. I know I've kind of gone against the grain of religiosity. I realize that we've perverted a lot of words in our English language, of which one is the word blessed. Blessed is a word of battle, word of victory. How about we decide we're going to have victory over the depression and the nasty and the evilness of this world?